0: We are starting this amazing series on 1 Peter. If you want to get hold of your Bibles, keep them open. We are going to work our way through that uh, this morning, um, particularly these first few verses, which is fantastic. But uh, thank you, Lord, that you are going to speak to us as we discover what your your word uh, has to say to us. I pray your spirit, you would take it and use it for your glory. Amen. Last week, one of, uh, uh, if you like, one of my heroes, never met him. One of my heroes went to be with Jesus. He was a 94-year-old... A man named Andrew van der Baal. Here's his story uh, on the screen. <clears throat> he was um, interviewed two, two months before he died, so 94, two months before he died. And someone asked him a question, um, "How um, would you change anything you did in your life? He said, I'd be more radical. I'd be more radical. Unbelievable man of God uh, and an absolute inspiration. What a beautiful, beautiful life. Um, and uh, I love that quote about we need to be people of guts and courage, not cowards. And we do live in a time of rising challenge and hostility to the Christian faith. We may not feel it. The closest we get to hostility might be a bit of embarrassment, but there are over 220 million uh, Christians who are calling themselves Christians in our world that are persecuted every day. They, are they wouldn't be able to wander into a place like this. They have to find other ways to do it. And many of them, we are having the blessing of being part of our church. And they speak into our lives. There's so many stories we could talk about for some of our Farsi speakers that we've got joining the church at the moment. Incredible stories. So, and let's face it, even in our own country, we may not be at that level of persecution in many countries in the world. But in our present culture, it seems quite hard to say you stand for Christ and talk about Jesus. Often it seems like we're in sort of moral free fall. Many of the things that we took for granted don't seem to be the same way as they were. Marriage has been reframed and uh, redefined. The sanctity of human life is under attack. <clears throat> what do we do about that? What do we say to that culture? Do we just become really angry and really combative? Or do we... Go with the gospel by bringing Christ into our culture. How do we maintain hope when everything seems hopeless in some ways? The other week, when John Coles was talking about the decline of the church, how did you feel? We can sometimes feel that. How do we remain Christ centered when our culture seems to be increasingly sort of caustic towards Christianity? That is why we're doing this book. I want to encourage you to read 1 Peter every week the next eight weeks, it's only 105 verses. Read it. Um, I'm only going in line with the whole bishops so of the whole Anglican Communion, okay? Because when they gather for the Lambeth Conference, what did they look at? They looked at one Peter. So I'm even obedient to a bishop for once. The reality is, it is such a powerful letter that's written into our times. So we need to grapple with it. Get to your small groups. Get to your connect groups. Get to your knees. And let's grapple with this book in itself. Why is it so relevant? Well, it was relevant back in the first century. 64 AD, a guy called Nero was emperor. And he decided that he would... Well, it's, it's been shown in history that he actually decided to start a fire. The trouble is the fire got out of control. And who could he blame? But he blamed the Christians, this new Christian movement that was in Rome. And he unleashed an absolute persecution... Um, uh, violent persecution over them. He reportedly would take Christian followers, cover them in tar, set them on fire while they were still alive, using them as torches to provide light for his garden parties. He covered Christians in the skins of wild animals, sent them, uh, his hunting dogs out to tear them to pieces. He nailed them to crosses. He fed Christ's followers to lions for sport. And in this hostile environment, Peter is speaking and saying to followers, you are part of a beautiful resistance, the most beautiful resistance that you can ever be part of. Friends, in this culture, it's imperative that we start at who we are and where we're from and how we live and to cherish what we've been given. So as we begin this, we're going to begin, if you like, looking in some ways into ourselves, but also aware of our identity. That's what we're going to be thinking about today because that's what happens in 1 Peter. And so we're going to rock our way through 1 Peter. So if you've got your Bibles there, use it. We may put it up on the screen, but I think that's cheating. I think we're going to not use that. You've got to open your Bibles, all right? Because we're, they're there for a reason and they're there for us to open and look at. So 1 Peter, it's page 1217. So it's right near the back of the Bibles. 1217. And we're going to get stuck in. Brilliant. So here we are, first verse. Know who we are, Peter. Don't we love Peter? We all love Peter. We all relate to Peter. This guy who had, as I often describe him, foot in mouth disease. He would be the one who would say it, how he felt it, how we often will connect. It's always interesting that Jesus, when, um, when, 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 when Simon Peter um, messed up and got it wrong and missed it, it was fascinating that very often he was, at that point, called Simon. But the times when, if you like, Peter discovered who his identity was, rather than his own strivings, his identity in Jesus, he was called Peter. Or, you know, if you want to be more with it, he was called Rocky. Because um, the Greek was Petros. So he would talk to Rocky because he knew where his rock was. He knew what his identity was. And as he writes to these pressurized Christians. Firstly, we say, Peter. And in that statement, he's saying, I know who I am. My rock, as we sang just now, my rock is in Jesus. And he has called me, bizarrely, almost he could never really believe it, I think, to be the rock on which the church was to be built. So first places, he knew his identity. He knew he'd been saved by Jesus. And he was sure in that. What a promise. A messed up, compromised, denial-based person is saved. That may be you. I compromise. I let Jesus down. I deny him. And yet my identity is I still know that I am saved by Jesus and known by him. I think it's wonderful the way that Jesus just reminds him of his identity. Even with the resurrection when Mary Um, You know, comes to the tomb. And the first thing he says is, go to the disciples and Peter. It's like Jesus reminding Peter and saying, I love you. I'm for you. You are the rock. Be who you are. And then he goes on to say, doesn't he, later on, feed my sheep. And then it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle means sent. Sent one. He was sent. He had a calling, had a purpose. He knew who he was. Sometimes for many of us, we just don't realize who we are, who we are in Jesus. And your name is a precious name. It is a precious name that is known by God. So here he is, Peter, sent the cool one. But then it goes on to say, know where you're from. So he goes on to God's elect or uh, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You see, they were um, elect, but as he said, they were scattered. They were exiles. Other translations would be they were like pilgrims, in other words, sojourners. And what that refers to, the translation is refers to they were they are temporary, and that's a reminder of who we are. It refers to. The deal that is, if you are a follower of Christ, if you say you follow Jesus, this world is not your home. Your exiles, every single one of us. Philippians 3.20 says that our true citizenship is in heaven. That's why, you know, if you're followers of Christ, it should always feel like you're slightly don't fit in. I don't know whether you ever feel that sometimes. Because of what Jesus means in your life, you never quite fit in. So when things are said, there's always a bit of a quiver in the liver, isn't there? There's always a sense of, there's something not quite right. Well, there should be anyway. If you're a true follower of Jesus, you should have that sense. And he's saying that you're like exiles. You're like like people who, you know, actually feel really slightly uncomfortable if it's not the things of Christ or what Christ has wanted you to be. The sad thing is that many of us focus our home on here. I know myself, my comfort place is here. I'm more concerned with what's going on here. And all the other stuff that is about here. But it, ne- it will never work. Because we actually come... Uh, we're aware there is another place. We're made for another place. C.S. Lewis once said, It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, referring to heaven, that they have become so ineffective in this world. And so wherever... The good news of Jesus changes a life. Nothing, I'm afraid, is ever going to be the same. That's why we don't want to sell people short when they come to know Jesus. When you become a follower of Jesus, everything will change. You will see things with completely different lenses. That as you transfer your allegiance to Christ, others will think you are decidedly odd, if you're clear about it. So when you say no to what everyone else is doing, because you're saying, no, actually, I'm going to be in church. Why would you do that on a Sunday morning? That is weird. If you decide to be faithful to your spouse because of your faith, you are a resident alien. If you're a Christian teenager and you're striving to live for Jesus, you are a stranger at school. One of the toughest places to be. If you've chosen the path of purity, your friends will think you're some sort of puritanical Odd bod. If you're single and you say, actually, I only want to date or go out with someone who's a follower of Christ, people will say, FOMO, fear of missing out for you. Or when you publicly identify yourself with Jesus by saying, I am baptized, like we did a few weeks ago, you enter a life of exile. I'm sorry, guys. You're in that place of exile. That is the nature of who you are. We will never be people who naturally fit into what the whole world and what the, the stream of things is saying. 1 Peter is a good word for us because it's saying you're exiles and then you're scattered. Now, sometimes you might think they were, they were scattered out in all these different places here. But what is amazing about that, the sense of being scattered, But that, that, that is like he's saying, I'm affirming you, you're scattered in that place for a reason. The church has always become, when it's been scattered because of persecution, it's when it's grown the most. And we are scattered servants in our places where we're at. He's placed us there for a reason. He's saying, you are in those places of Pontus, Galacia, all those places. I'm in my place of Barnet. Quite often people say to me, particularly because I moved from Paul on the nice south coast and all the you know, lovely beaches at Sandbanks, people say, why Barnet?" Why did you give up Barnet? I oh, gave up um, Bournemouth for Barnet? You know what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I always say every time in any meeting I'm ever in, I, I was in this with uh, the other Tuesday when we had a whole bunch of people from the community came in. I said, I love Barnet. Don't you love Barnet? Because actually in any place that we are placed, whenever it is, for whatever time, I've been 16 different places in my life. A lot when I was younger, but in other parts of the world with my dad, my parents. But in the last few years, I've always said, if God has brought me there, and I know I am in that place, and there is a reason. I'm a scattered servant, and I embrace it, and I love it. Persecution, Brother Angie once said, is an enemy the church has met and mastered many times. Indifference could prove a more dangerous foe. Know where you're from. And then know how we are to live. We're only in verse 2 here, guys. Verse 2. It's just so much in it. This is why it's well worth digging into. Verse 2. It says, yep, you know, I know who I am. I know where I'm from. I know how we are to live. Verse 2. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. There's a lovely reference in here I love about the fact the Trinity. Often people say, where's the Trinity in the Bible? He is here. Here it is. God the Father, do the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Just a little mention. And it's fascinating. Peter doesn't have a great long chat about it. He just assumes it and celebrates it. This is early days of understanding about that. Now look, there isn't so much time to dive into. Otherwise, those who are into like the predestination Armenian thing or whatever, all this stuff to do electing, we're not going to get into that. Okay. Um, I just want to say, though, they are, I don't believe they are contradictory. They are complementary. They're actually God sovereignly selects us, elects us, chooses, chooses us, but we are responsible to respond to those things. That's what I believe. I love um, Charles Spurgeon once said, How do you reconcile God's sovereignty with man's responsibility? I wouldn't try. I never reconcile friends. You know, they are, they are, they are friends. They work together. It's both God and it's our response. So Father God, it says, has chosen us. I think I talked about this over the summer. Isn't it great to be chosen? Whether it's in the playground when you're chosen for the football team or, or the football team or whatever it might be. When, when, to be chosen is something precious, isn't it? To be chosen. And we've been chosen, it says here, you have been chosen according to the full of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and the obedience. So what it's saying here, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, is saying that we have we have you, and the Spirit is at work within us. And by the blood of Jesus, we choose to be obedient. So if you like, we, we are obedient, not because we, God says, right, you must do it. We're obedient because we say, thank you, Lord, you have chosen me. So what greater thing would it be just to be obedient to the call on your life? Margaret, yesterday, we were out on the streets. There's five of us went out, and she's just being obedient. I remember the first week she said, oh, it's not really my thing. But now, can't keep her off the streets on a Saturday morning. Just us going out there and simply praying with people and listening with people and talking with people. We're no great shakes. We're all, we're all... But we're just trying to be a little bit obedient to the one who's chosen us. In the light of those who bothered enough to tell us about Jesus, we're saying, let's do the same. Let's bring the blessing of Jesus into that place. Because finally, know how we are to live. Know what we've been given. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What a, a tiny little phrase there, but what a glorious phrase there. He just says there that we have redemption, this gift, God's unmerited favor. And Peter was a recipient of this grace. He was thinking his the whole life was like, why was I given this when I messed up so much? And he's saying this grace and peace, the reconciling peace of Christ that has been won for me is yours in abundance in a dunce! overwhelming, multiplied for us. So know where you're from. We're just strangers passing through with a prospect of heaven. Know how we are to live. We do it because Jesus has done so much for us. And know what we've been given, grace and peace. So, how are we to face this culture around us? So I've only done the first two verses, but I will crack through these in the, in the next few moments. Uh, probably won't get to verse 12, but I'm going to go as far as I can before you all nod off, or I nod off. But these next few verses, if you like, build on saying, you know what you are already in the place you're in. And in this hopeless world, what do we have to offer? And he begins this journey, and this is what we're going to be walking through, of living hope. Verse 3. And this is a phrase here that I came across the other day. God guards what he gives. God guards what he gives. And what is lovely here, we start off verse 3 with worship. He, he, He acknowledges God, Adonai, Jesus, Savior, Christ, Messiah. He just starts praising He can't stop. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation mark. He just cannot start and stop just worshipping. John Piper, in his uh, comments on this passage, points out that Peter begins with wonder and worship instead of worry. I love that. Isn't that a great thing for us to be reminded of? He begins with wonder and worship. Praise be to the God and... Of our Lord Jesus Christ. He chooses to praise instead of focusing on problems. You know, for me, the last four weeks, I have really struggled. There's a lot of things, I won't go into the ins and outs of it, There's something that's been going on that just like, oh, I've been really struggling to, to get focus. In, in many ways, some despair, a feeling of like, why? And the only, only thing that's been, if you like, the antidote to it is worship and praise. I've tried to think it all through. I I try to work it all through. But ultimately, it's like Peter's saying here look at the world around us. Where do we go? Praise be to the Lord uh, and God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just encourage us to do that. It's a very simple thing, but just to do that. If you like, when we do that, what we say, you are bigger than this issue I'm facing, you've got it sorted. Five things he starts to rock through here. Verse 3. Why are these things we should praise God? Why should we praise God? You might ask that question. Why should we do that? Verse verse 3. In his great mercy. Okay, in his great mercy. Let's start with that. We deserve to die. We deserve to be far from God. But in his mercy. It's so amazing and so wide. When I was a kid, we sang together, didn't we? Wide, wide as the ocean, high as the heavens above. Deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Saviour's love. I, though so unworthy, still am a child of his care. All his word teaches me that his love reaches me everywhere. Come on. That was when it was called Sunday school and not groovy times with leaders. But it's true, the depth of it. Do you see that? Wide, wide is the ocean. High, It's like in such a beautiful, simple way because of his great mercy. I talked to a Muslim yesterday when we were out in one of the... And he's a proper Muslim. What I mean is it's not just like a casual thing. We have James and I have had proper conversations with him. And we come in there on a regular basis and keep chipping away in this particular shop. But he couldn't get the mercy thing. I said, well, how good is good? He said, yeah, but you've got to be good enough when you stand before God. Yeah, but no, how good is good? Let's, let's talk about a measure of goodness. Because we can never be good enough. It's only because of his great mercy. Sorry, I could just preach on that. Then he says for his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Being born again is not some advert for a VW Beetle, as we saw there. It's not some nice little being born again. Into some. born again is the richest, deepest thing. We die to the old and we rise to the new. He said, you've been given new birth." Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. You're a new person when you know Jesus. And that great mercy, it says, he's given new birth into a living hope. We look around us, we see confusion, we see discouragement. And he's saying this is a living, or the translation often is lively hope. And hope is hard to define, isn't it? Hope, when people say living hope, what do you mean by hope? Maybe it's sort of, but I don't feel hopeful a lot of the time. Well, I don't feel, I mean, if hope is just purely an optimistic feeling, You know that everything will turn out right. You know, in 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 August, as a Portsmouth fan, I'm full of hope. And we're in League One. We were in the Premier League, but I was in League One. I'm full of hope. This is the year. We're gonna don't nod your head. Don't nod your shake your head there, Carol. We're full of hope. Well maybe Arsenal fans are exactly the same, but it's full of hope, like it will happen. By about spring, actually usually by about January, it fades. That's hope as the world sees it. Like a sort of optimistic, I hope, you know, it might happen. Touch something. I'm amazed how some sensible, logical people will walk halfway across a room. I just did someone the other day to find a bit of wood to touch. That is hope, as many people think. Somehow. Here are a couple of Bible-based definitions of hope. Hope is a future certainly grounded in a present reality. Another one, hope is wishing for what God has already promised us. And in the Old Testament, there's a lovely picture of hope. It's tied up. because It's very pictorial, the Old Testament. To bind together. It's like the twisting off of a rope to cause it to be stronger. And it's understood in that way. So his great mercy, his new birth to a living hope. And it's based on what? It's based on the certainty of the resurrection. That this person, Jesus Peter, is saying, really rose from the dead. And he is alive. And he speaks into it. And out of that resurrection, we can have a guaranteed inheritance. Verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, boil or fade. In 1949, a man named Jack Worm was broke out of a job. One day he was walking along a San Francisco beach when he came across a bottle with a piece of paper in it. He discovered it was the last will and testament of Daisy Singer, heir to the singer Sewing machine fortune. Here's what the note said. To avoid confusion, I leave my entire estate to the lucky person who finds this bottle. Twelve years earlier, she'd thrown the bottle into a river in London where it had drifted across the oceans to the feet of penniless jack firm. Immediately, he became $6 million richer. Would you not like that to happen to you? Actually, if you know Christ... Your inheritance is infinitely more than that. If you are born again, if you have become uh, uh, into a relationship with Jesus, you are an heir with Christ. Unlimited credit, unlimited bank available. You know, an inheritance is something left behind by someone who's died, it's a gift to those living from one who isn't. As someone said, if you're saved, you have an inheritance with one who died but now lives. In Ephesians 1.18, it says, That you may know that in what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And it's amazing, this inheritance can never spoil, can never fade, can never perish. According to Financial Times, 90% of inheritances are depleted by the third generation. Did you know that? 90% have gone within the third generation. If you know my kids, I can see that happening very easily. It just goes. But it's not our home anyway, is it? So for all the things we invest in, it's not our home. We live for something so much more exciting. And of course, the glorious thing is, it says, into inheritance, it says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Heard of a Scotsman who was very concise with his words, and he left instructions, a bit like Brother Andrew, before he died, that he wanted only one word engraved on his tombstone, and it was kept. Uh, it was taken right from this verse, and it's just the word "kept." He knew it was kept by Jesus, and so what it's saying here, as we move on, we are kept. And these last few verses, I'm going to have to really rush through, but basically, we need to realise we are guarded. And we are to use the term garrisoned by God. Because he's saying, this hope, this thing you know within you for yourself. He goes on, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last times. You are garrisoned. You are supported. You know, like those incredible, as those people are filing past the queen's coffin as they're standing around guarding it. That's what it's like with us. We are guarded. We are garrisoned. You are not an unknown You are known, and you are kept, and you are covered. And these verses here, though, I could go into them for ages, because they actually then talk about where they are. Because it goes on to say, there are going to be trials. And each one of us has our own trials. And maybe some of you are saying, why have you spent so much time talking about how it is to know Jesus? I'm going through a trial. But what Peter's saying there, when you know that to be true, he actually acknowledges trials will come. Trials will happen, trials will occur. But because you are certain in who you are in Jesus, you do not need, you do not need to, to worry. Because verse six, they will they are temporary, though now for a little while. It might not feel like that, but in the light of eternity. They are terrible. He says, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. The Bible is totally honest. We grieve and we express it and we're real about it. None of this cover up British stuff. When things hurt, when things happen, we're real about it. But in that grief, we're also aware that verse 7, it says these things. These things, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, Of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through a refined fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Because ultimately, in the intense heat and the pain and the hurt and the sadness and the discouragement of trial, he's saying, If you trust in Jesus, it will be like gold that's been burnt in the fire. And the gold craftsman looks at it and they if you like it, it brings out the dross, and the dross gets cleared away, and then they can see the reflection and they know it's pure gold. But in the trial is the time when we discover that to be true. And Peter calls them says, in the trial and the trials that you are facing as scattered believers likely to be burnt or killed, what do you do? In that hostile environment, you come back to your identity. You come back to who you are. You discover where you're from and what you've been given. Secondly, you Know that you are secure. You're secure in what Jesus has done. So you have your identity, your security, you have your, and within that, your inheritance, your protection. And thirdly, you have a destiny. Because he says you have a call on your life. As a result of that, you are servants of the living God and you're obedient to fulfill those things he's called you to do. It's a challenge. But we all love a challenge, don't we, really? What's worth living for if it's just going to be sitting there? It's got to be a challenge, isn't it? And Peter's saying, come on. You have so much. Don't waste it. For Jesus gave his life that you might be free. I want to be like Brother Andrew at the end of my life. Saying, I wish I'd been more radical. You know, I don't, if I get the joy of living... 34 more years from my age now. I want those 34 years to really count. I really do. And that's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? For however long we have left, we want to know that and live that. Let's just pray for a moment. Father God, we thank you so much for um, uh, this journey we're going to go on, getting into this book. But Lord, more than that, We thank you so much that in you, Lord Jesus, we are loved and we are known. And Lord, that you are the one that wraps us, you garrison, you guard us. And it's a beautiful thing. But Lord, our destiny is that we should stand firm in you. For the church has been in and out of being acceptable in our world. But you are calling us to stand firm for you. To live a beautiful resistance. That when we see things that are not right, we press into you and share you. Lovingly, with respect and gentleness. I pray your blessing on us, Lord, as we work this out daily as we work this out as a church, as we work this out as a church in this country. Come, Lord Jesus. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Amen.